Hello, friends and listeners. It's Katie, and I'm here with a very special guest for a special segment of Not So Molly Mormon podcast. I am here with guest Kimberly. Hi, Kimberly. Thank you for being here. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, of course, of course. We're so thrilled that you were willing to take some time and talk to us and share your experience. So um, I think we're going to start out with, I will, as as they say in Mormonism, turn the time over to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can, like, maybe we can start with you telling us about like your upbringing uh, sure. in the church and all of that kind of thing. We can just sort of have a combo about it. So yeah, tell okay. us a bit about yourself. So, so I'm originally from Los Angeles. Um, yeah. And I actually come from immigrant parents. Both my parents are from El Salvador. Okay. And they, yeah, they immigrated to California back in the 80s. Um, at the time of the Civil War was starting to kind of um, end in El Salvador. Mm. And so my family and I, we actually moved out here to Utah when I was nine. So that was back in 1998. So I am going to age myself a little bit. So <laughs> I'm now 30. Than, <laughs> you're younger than me. So <laughs> you're just a baby. In the eyes of Utah, I'm like super old. So oh yeah. my god, you're old in Utah <laughs> if you're over like 22. I swear. Oh my god, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, how was that moving to Utah from LA? So I so living in LA, I think um, it it was really much a culture shock because. Yeah you know, moving from LA to Utah, it was like, uh, you know, it was like a, the melting pot moving to like white suburbia because my <laughs> yeah. family. Yeah. That's, that's what I call Pleasant Grove. We, we moved to Pleasant Grove and I, I guess like as a kid, you, you don't notice how, uh, like that you're the minority because, mm-hmm. you know, like my, my brother and I, like we speak perfect English you know like we always spoke English and even though we were taught Spanish in the home but we never we didn't have an accent nothing like that and for Hispanics we're actually pretty fair-skinned so a lot of people don't really take us as you know like they don't they're they don't always like know that we are Hispanic if that makes sense yes uh uh-huh so, but moving to Pleasant Grove, um, immediately I was, you know, like just kind of bombarded with, oh, are you Mormon? Are you LDS? And <laughs> yeah. It's and my family crazy how it. they just like think that that's okay to just ask people that move in. It's so odd because I don't know other any other religions, like for when I've moved places outside of Utah, like the neighbors don't come over and ask you what religion you are, but in Utah they do. <laughs> they do because they have to establish that like connection. They have to make sure that like, oh, okay, are you are you one of us? Are you not one of us? Like, how am right. I supposed to treat you? How am yeah. I going to treat you? And I, uh, I don't, I don't remember this, but I actually had this conversation with my dad 
a couple days ago, and he told me that um, when we were looking for a place to live out here, we were looking for apartments, he experienced a lot of racism with certain landlords. And um, just the fact of, you know, him trying to find a place for us to live, they would just like just plain out ask him, oh, okay, well, how many people are actually going to be living in your apartment? Oh, my God. Straight up, you know? Wow. Or he would just be like, okay, well, it's just a four UV now, but yeah, but how many more people are actually coming are going to move in? You know, like, I know you people love to bring everybody involved. Oh, yeah. And this Ew. was like, yeah, this was what, pre-2000? So, you know. So. Oh, my word. Wow. <laughs> So there wasn't a lot of diversity and I'm, and I use that in quotation marks because uh, when I started, when we moved to Pleasant Grove, I mean, we were one of the very, very few, like I think I could count on my hand um, families of color that lived in Pleasant Grove, you know? Oh, that's completely believable. I grew (laughs) up in Orem and honestly, I yeah, I could probably think of less than a handful of families that weren't white that I even knew of in the whole like city. So yeah, it's oh yeah, crazy. Yeah, I would say it's definitely gotten better now as I you know grew up in Pleasant Grove and in Utah, and there's definitely a bigger Hispanic community. Um, a lot of you know families from Mexico that moved here to Utah and I think it's gotten better, but we're still pretty whitewashed as a state, I would Mm -hmm. say. Oh, for sure. sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so, but interestingly enough, I grew up in Utah, not being part of the church. We were, yeah, yeah. I actually converted later on in life. I was the only member in my entire family that converted. Um, Yeah. So we were pretty, we were, we were raised Catholic and we went to a Spanish speaking Catholic church all throughout my childhood. And then it was actually 10 years ago. Yeah, it was 10 years ago because I was 20 at the time. Um, I was dating this guy who was a member and, you know, just to make a long story short, I got baptized into the church when I was 21 Oh, yeah. Was that because a lot of, I mean, you don't have to tell what you don't want to, but did you feel like that was influenced a lot by that guy? Because, you know, I guess we've experienced that a lot of Mormon men have said so many times, like they wouldn't even date or consider dating someone who wasn't Mormon because they needed to, you know, go to the temple and be the perfect Mormon wife. So did you feel that pressure from him? Yes and no. Interestingly enough, like as naive as I was at uh, 20, um, I remember sitting, having this conversation with him because he wanted me to take the discussions with the missionaries. Mm -hmm. And I just point blank looked at him and I said, I don't want you a part of this investigation. I said, (gasps) I don't want you to influence me. I don't want you a part of this. And said, I said, in fact, I'm not even going to tell you if I'm going to get baptized until after it happens, because I said, I don't want to join this church for you. And then we break up and then I'm stuck in this church that I don't want to believe in. Damn, so, 
good. That's that's good of you. Like, I don't think I would have had the brain to say that when I was 20 years old. <laughs> but I was, but you know what I mean? Like, but I was so smitten with him because, of course, he, like, told me that he loved me. And, of course, he, and he was actually, um, his family was from Mexico, too. So, like, so that also kind of, it, it made that stronger bond between yeah. the two of us. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I was like, oh, my gosh, like, here's this guy. He really loves me. He wants to get married in the temple. Like, yes, yes, yes. By the time I was actually baptized, we had broken up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yes. at that point, you ha- you were believing it, obviously, and you went through with it. Yes. And surpri- interestingly enough, I was actually, I was taught by a senior couple because I told my friends, I didn't want elders teaching me and I didn't want sisters teaching me. I don't know why, but I was just like, no, I just, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh wow. That's, <laughs> I feel like that's so unique. That's not, that's not a common thing that you hear it, often. <laughs> right. Especially here in Utah where I was like, oh yeah. As soon as I put the word out that, you know, this non-member is investigating, like, I'm in like, you know, like I'm just going to be swarmed with missionaries like left and right. Right. Happened, thankfully. But, but, um, but yeah, I, so I joined the church when I was 21 and I left the church when I turned 30. So about almost 10 years of being in the church. So yeah, about like nine years in the church. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, how, how was that? Did you go to like, uh, the young single adult wards and things like that? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm still, I'm not married. So that, that was my entire experience being in a member, mm-hmm. um, was just why save wards. And, um, when we're talking about an or like a religious organization that, you're not aware of how racist it is. Like you give into that. And I remember, uh, you know, feeling like I was like, feeling like I just wasn't, I wasn't enough, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, in the YSA wards, like guys typically, and I say this loosely, but guys like usually don't really go after women of color mm-hmm. unless they whitewash themselves. Oh yeah. Wow. I, that just gave me some, some chills. That's, that's true. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because, because I used, because I, I attended, you know, wards that were mostly predominantly white. I attended wards that were multicultural. I attended, you know, a, um, a Polynesian ward. And then recently right before I left the church, I attended a, uh, a Hispanic ward, but yeah. yeah. So, but in every single one of those wards, didn't matter if it was white, if it was multicultural, Hispanic, whatever, the guys would always go after the fair looking ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like the ones that were pretty fair skinned despite of their heritage um, they would go after the type of women that embraced more of that white culture, you know, like wearing clothes from, I, I don't know if I can, if I can say the name brands. Um, so I, 
Go ahead if you want to. <laughs> um, so like down east. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, Sarah brings that up a lot. She's just like, the fucking down east. Everyone wore the same thing. <laughs> Listen, I love their shoes. I will buy their shoes, but I will not buy their clothing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, wearing Downey's clothing, lightening their hair, straightening their hair if it was naturally curly, you know, um, just just trying to whitewash themselves. And I don't think these women actually understood really like what they were doing. But in the church, you are brainwashed to believe basically that like in order for you to have any value as a woman of color or as a person of color, you kind of have to adhere to these whitewashing uh, techniques or whatever you want to call it in order for you to actually, you know, find a husband or a wife or, you know, succeed in the church. Because let me tell you, like now leaving the church as a woman of color, um, the church was not designed for people of color for women Mm -hmm. or for the LGBTQ community. Like, the, the system was designed specifically for straight white men. That's what it was just designed for. 100%. Yeah. You know? And so, mm-hmm. um, so I remember I felt, like, torn almost because I wanted to embrace my heritage. And yet, at the same time, I was, you know, like, told in a way that I had to buy the stupid fucking Downey's clothing. You know, I had to wear the uh, missionary type style skirts and dresses and and shirts. And, you know, I had to dress modestly. And, you know, I had to be careful with like who I spoke Spanish to. And, you know, God, there were so many times where I was called exotic. Oh, God. (laughs) No. You know, and... There were so many, um, God, like I, I always felt like I was never good enough. I was never pretty enough. I was never skinny enough. You know, I was never going to be blonde enough. You know, I could put in the fucking colored contacts. I could like, you know, not be out in the sun. I could like try to make myself as pale as possible. But at the end of the day, guys just never really, like, I never felt like guys wanted to date me because I was as outspoken Hispanic who really just wasn't going to lay down like linoleum and let these guys do whatever they wanted with me. Mm. You know Mm. what I mean? That's, that's so deep. I, I feel like that's so much obviously just like entrenched racism mixed in with misogyny at the same time. And it's like this big, ugly ball of really nasty, deep rooted problems that, to be honest with you, as a white woman, I hadn't even really thought about that before, of them mm-hmm. mixing together in a way, and this inherent need for, or I guess this, what, this undertone of, like, the wider you look and act, the better and the more appealing you are to men, which means they're going to want to take you to the temple. And it is, mm-hmm. it's making me feel physically sick. So <laughs> thank you for pointing mm-hmm. that out. I hadn't thought about that before. Oh. And and you brought up the temple, which I remember. Uh, so I actually went through the temple two years ago, okay, before oh. I went through this, like, my faith crisis and I left okay. the church. Uh-huh. 
But I remember, okay, they always talk about this this video. Oh, yeah, like, just watch for the video, you know, like, just wait until you see the video. It's, like, so cool, blah, blah, blah. Um, when I saw that video of Adam and Eve, I got so pissed because right in front of me this, and this huge ass screen was Adam and Eve portrayed as this blonde haired, blue eyed beauty. Mm-hmm. He was portrayed as this blonde haired, blue eyed beauty, this petite, super skinny, like, you know, delicate features would never question Adam or God in any way, shape or form. And I was like, no. And literally the first thoughts in my, in my head were like, no fucking wonder. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No wonder. I, yeah. I was like, no fucking wonder. I'm like, because you know how many guys like go on their missions you know, and they have to go to the temple, they see these videos and they see how Eve is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And of course, like, they're not going to, like, they're they're going to internalize that as, oh, I need to find someone that's like Eve, aka I need to find someone that looks like Eve. Because if I yeah. find someone that looks like Eve, then I'm going to marry Eve. Therefore, she's going to be like the wife that I want. Blah, blah, you know what I mean? It just, right. Yeah, not only look like that, but also, like you mentioned, super submissive as well. Exactly. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and growing up in Utah, I, you know, I never experienced racism per se, like directly directed at me. But I do remember, like, you know, just racking my brain the last couple of days before you and I started talking Um, I remember my first instance with racism was when I was in the seventh grade and I remember I was in the English class and we were all just doing our assignments and there was this guy behind me who was telling this like soccer story of this like game that he had or whatever and he just blurted out and these stupid Mexicans and (laughs) Yeah, and I whipped around as fast as I could. And I was like, excuse me, what the hell did you just say? (sighs) And he just looked at me like, I'm sorry, like, does this conversation pertain to you? And I looked at him like, just, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And he didn't know what to say because he didn't expect me to, he didn't expect anybody to to correct him or anything. Yeah. And I just whipped around and I just remember feeling like just so angry and thankfully, my English teacher had my back because she because she basically called him out and was like, dude, like, you need to sh- sit down and shut up. Good. And um, he actually ended up apologizing to me the day after. And he's just like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you know what, dude, like, it's fine. Like, I accept your apology. But I'm just like, you need to be careful with what you say like what you say, basically, I said, because next time I said, people that hear that, that will take offense to that won't be as nice as I was. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure like my English teacher had to like, um, pull him aside and, and tell him, Hey, yo, like that wasn't cool. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I think it was just like the first time that I, that I realized that people could be blatantly racist and when they're surrounded, you know, when they're in a community where 
nobody else checks them. Nobody else, what everyone else kind of looks like them and acts like them and speaks like them, you know, there's not room for the, like, there's no opportunity for them to realize like, Hey, you know what? Like, is this racist? Like, am I okay to say this? Is this okay for me to say this? You know? Oh yeah. I think you, you make such a good point. I bet a lot of people don't even think about it. I, I remember when I was growing up hearing racist comments like the one that you just mentioned and everyone else or like everyone hearing this comment is white and no one is standing up to this person and we're all Mormon and we're supposed to be Christ-like and stand up for people but no one would because then it's like uncomfortable and so the white people aren't checking other white people and it and then it just keeps trickling on and on and on and people keep saying these these things and these racist comments yeah. Mhm. 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 Gross. <laughs> <sighs> um, did you experience any type of like I I was wondering how you felt about like did you ever read the scriptures and come across things about the Lamanites that ever made you feel uncomfortable? Oh yeah. Um Yeah. I uh just the whole notion of like the Lamanites were darker skin and they were like basically the bad people and like God had punished them. And, you know, and I, and I would ask questions like, yo, like, how is this, like, what does this mean? You know, I'm like, are they like, does that mean that like, because they were darker skin, they were bad people or because they were bad people, they were dark skin. Like, you know, and, and people would try to justify that as like, well, you know, like, uh, 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 they would, like, people would try to justify that, and I'm just like, wait a minute, but I just, yeah, okay, but I, really what people would just tell me is like, oh, well, you know, just pray about it, just pray about it. <laughs> that is the you know, ultimate like, response, yeah. Yeah, because really, if, if we're going to sit down and talk about racism and talk about white supremacy, I mean, really, like, even now with, like, what the church came out with their bullshit, like, mm. oh, yeah, you know, like, people are going to be punished if they're racist, and I'm like, okay, well, then that means that every single person that was involved with founding the church needs to be taken account, you know, needs to be held accountable, and that's not going to happen, because then that's just going to make you guys look like the biggest hypocrites, as if yeah. you don't already, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was just actually like right before we got on this call, I was thinking about that. Um, listeners, if you haven't read it, uh, Russell Nelson, the, the president of the church, he came out with this statement on social media about how he's saddened by racism and racists need to repent. Yet in that same uh, post, he's talking about how looting and rioting is like what did what did he call it he didn't call it a sin but he called it something else like evil or something Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah and I was thinking that same thing like okay um Mr. Nelson like why if you are saying racists need to repent that means and that all of these men that founded this church are like they were all racist you still have BYU that's named after Brigham Young like why if you're going to repent and change your ways why not change the name of that university and why not 
like own up to what you've done and apologize but you know they don't so I'm glad you brought that up because I was like stewing over that before we got on this call so I um so one of the like um accounts that I follow on Instagram they were they've been posting a lot of the quotes from like the early prophets you know Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know about slavery about how like about interracial marriage and there was one that I posted on my story on Instagram and a lot of people that are still in the church that I know saw that but it I mean it was very but I was very blatant to say like this is part of the reason why I'm not part of the church anymore you know because of shit like this basically and and I think really what like the last few days with like everything that's happening, you know, like the protests and, and, you know, the black lives matter movement. I think for me, I mean, it's a great time for all of us to really reflect because not one of us has not had prejudice against someone else of a different race, because unfortunately stereotypes exist. And unless we have that self-awareness to be able to check ourselves and be like, okay, you know, I have this thought, but is this true? Like, is this accurate? Like, is this okay for me to think this way? You know, Mm -hmm. like we can't really change what's going on in the world if we don't have that self-awareness. And I think for me, you know, personally looking back in my life, like I'm actually, I'm grateful that I grew up in Utah in a way because I did have access to better education You know, Mm -hmm. I lived in white suburbia in Pleasant Grove where I didn't have to worry about, you know, walking alone late at night, you know, or, or the friends that surrounded me, we were all in that same kind of like socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and I, and it allowed me opportunities to be able to pursue my education and further my education, you know. And so I do have to recognize that I also partook in some of that white privilege too. But in me partaking in that white privilege, that doesn't mean that I don't get to advocate for those that didn't have that same opportunity. That doesn't mean that I can't, you know, um, use my platform, no matter how small it is, to actually speak out on really like what is right and what is wrong. And you know, racism is going to continue on in the church and and in Utah too, because again, when you're in a community where everyone else looks like you, speaks like you, thinks like you, acts like you, there's not a lot of opportunity for you to grow from that and to Mm -hmm. say, you know what, like, because it is a bubble. Utah is a bubble. Yeah. You know? For sure. Yeah. Oh my God. You're, you're so eloquent. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just sitting here in awe. So, so many good points. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Is there, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about or any thoughts or advice or anything that you'd like to speak to? Yeah. Um, I think, Really, I think what what it comes down to, um, like, I guess for me in my own personal experience, you know, when I had my faith crisis of leaving the church 
And just looking back at my experiences when I was in the church, I get like there was a part of me that was very upset and very frustrated and very angry, not just at the church, but at myself, because I'm sure that there were instances where I played into that racism, where I didn't speak up for people that were quote unquote different, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and now being out of the church, you know, and looking back at my experiences, I, it's so, it's so disheartening to feel like you belonged to a religious organization that, that you felt had your back in a way that you felt like you were part of the community, that you felt like, you know, you could rely on your quote unquote brothers and sisters. But in reality, what it was, it was just exploiting that vulnerability. It was just exploiting the fact that you just wanted to be, to feel like you were a part of something, to feel like you wanted to belong to, to somewhere, you know? Yeah. And, And I guess for me personally, like, um, I felt more unworthy. I f- was more depressed. I was more anxious. I was more just, I hated really parts of myself that I now I'm learning to love. And part of that was, you know, the fact that I was Hispanic, that I wasn't white. Um, and now I can em- fully embrace that because I'm not trying to live up to this impossible expectation that I'm never going to meet because it, because the organization that I belong to was never designed to benefit someone like me. It was designed to benefit my straight white male counterparts. That's mm-hmm. all it was, you know? Yeah. And, and, and it is a process, you know, like I think racism, the white supremacy, just in and out of the church it's never going to go away, but it has to start from us. We have to be able to be self-aware enough to realize, okay, you know what? This isn't, this is not okay. We can't continue to live like this. And it really does start with having those uncomfortable discussions. It starts with having those uncomfortable conversations because a lot of times having those uncomfortable conversations is going to trigger something in us but really it's just a way for us to be able to learn and grow from that and really to understand that, Hey, you know what? Everyone, everyone outside of us is living their own lives and they have their own stories and we can embrace that and we can love that and we can respect that. We don't have to always like, you know, keep the peace in a way, but Mm -hmm. we can, but I can respect the other person with, you know, by understanding that, hey, you know what, their life is just as interesting, and it can be just as difficult, and it can be just as beautiful as mine, regardless of where they came from, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their beliefs. But if we don't, if we can't have those tough conversations with ourselves, and with people around us, we're never going to be able to change that way of thinking, that mm-hmm. racism, that white supremacy, you know, the misogyny, the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. 
Totally. Yeah. Perfectly said. Whoa. Um, I, <laughs> felt like I, was, I felt like I was going to ask you something and sure. then I got, <laughs> I got, I got a little emotional. That was so lovely. And, and I just feel so honored that you would want to come on the show and share that with us. I am a little curious. I know it's probably, sure. um, a long, you know, for, for most people, it's kind of a long story, but what, what made you like, what was the final item on your shelf that like broke your shelf of belief that mm. made you leave the church? I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> um, I, so, I mean, I, I had friends, very close friends that left the church and I was really in shock because they were some of the most, you know, faithful members. Um, and of course I started doing my own investigation with the CS letter, um, Mm -hmm. the church history, but really what broke my shelf was when I turned 30 and I don't even know how the thought came to me, but Um, but I remember just like sitting there after I turned 30 and this thought just came to my mind and I realized that it didn't matter how successful I would be in life. It didn't matter how prestigious of a career I would have. It didn't matter how financially well off I, 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 you know, I could be. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter how healthy I was mentally, physically, you know, um, my own spiritually, you know, way of, of health. None of that was going to matter if I was still single in the church. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. What a, yeah. None of that was going to matter because in the church's eyes, I was still less than because I didn't have a ring on my finger because I didn't change my last name because I didn't have, because I didn't pop out X, Y, Z kids. Right. None of that was going to matter. I could be like in the most prestigious career. I could own my own home. I could own four homes. I could, you know, own my own car. Like I could be completely successful. I can travel the world. I can, I can do all of these, you know, all of this like humanitarian aid that was all going to absolutely be worthless until because I was still single and even more so now that I'm 30 and still single. Oh my God. Like <laughs> there is no fucking way that I was going to join one of those mid singles wards. Okay. That's oh like, that's God. where people go to die. That's where their souls <laughs> literally go to die. I don't know if you've ever been to a mid singles ward. Okay, I haven't. So explain this. Is it <laughs> is it like so? Do the regular YSA words do they end at age thirty? They actually end at age thirty one. Thirty one, and then you go to yeah. a different one. So you have the choice. So they basically kick you out. Um, outside <laughs> You're of the too state. old. <laughs> Get no, out of I'm I'm dead serious. So oh my God. Um, in other like outside of Utah, like they're more lenient because the you know there's not as many members but here in Mm -hmm. Utah specifically um they kick you out when you turn 31 because it's like I mean god like if especially like if you went to if you started going to YSA ward at 18 from 18 to 31 they're basically telling you like bitch like 
you had all of this time to find yourself a man and you didn't find yourself a man, you need to get the fuck out. <laughs> oh my God. Like when you step back and think about this shit, it's so insane. It's like, literally you have to, it's like, ah, Mormon dating meat market. It's so gross. I, I, I would love to do another episode and just talk about my dating horror stories because, oh my God. Oh my God. We need to have you back. Because those <laughs> ones are, they're so cringy and awful, but it's like, we got to tell those stories. Yes. So, um, so when you turn 31, um, from what I understand, you either have the choice to go to a mid-singles ward or you can start going to a family ward. Okay. Mm-hmm. And out of curiosity, when I was still a member, I was like, I'm going to go to the mid-singles ward because there's older men. And I want to see, you know, like, I was just like, I want to see what's out there. Oh, my God. <laughs> So I went to one up here in Alpine, Utah, which if people like for those listening that don't live in Utah, Alpine is like the, what would I, how would I describe it? It's like where the rich white folk I live. I was going to say it was like, it's like the country club of Utah County. It's like, yes. Yes. you have to have a lot of money to live there yes. and it so white it's painful I mean everywhere else is but I feel like you picture Alpine and it's like everyone is blonde and named Brad (laughs) yeah it's bougie to yeah okay Draper is like a close second but Alpine is (laughs) started um (laughs) so so I had a friend that went with me and uh first of all I mean it is packed okay like we're talking like four or five hundred plus members okay what? oh my that gosh yeah so surprising whoa <laughs> yes so by the time we got there because we got there a little bit early like 10 minutes early you know mm-hmm. oh no the entire chapel was full and then they had an additional like like 10 12 rows of fold like of those like uh foldable chairs Oh, uh-huh. Like, in the auditor, like, in the, where they, uh, God, what's it called? The cultural like, hall? Yeah, where they have the basketball courts and yeah. the stage and stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, we were, like, all the way in the back. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, I remember they were talking about the word of wisdom, and I was like, and so I turned, I asked my friend, I was like, wait, like, what's the age that they're, that, you know, that you were supposed to be to be in this? And she's like, oh, it's like from 31 to 45. And I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're talking about the word of wisdom. <laughs> and we're how old? I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> you need a reminder to stay away from coffee and booze, I guess. <laughs> apparently, because apparently we're still children, even after we have successful careers, we have our own home, we own our own cars, you know, and we're grown ass adults. And most of us are divorced with kids already. But yeah, yeah. they still just got to tell you what you can and cannot put into your own body. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, OK, all right. So then we went to Sunday school and surprise, surprise, I talked about (gasps) temple marriage. 
Oh, oh surprise, God. surprise. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, are we really talking about Temple Marys to a bunch of, like, 30 and 40-year-old singles? Like, is this really happening right now? I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, heaven forbid that I'm in my 30s and still single, and I'm still going to have this shit shoved down my throat of how unworthy I still am because I don't have a husband. Yeah. Thank God. It's so shitty how that's just like the ultimate goal always. Like you mentioned before, there's, there is no praise for any type of success or happiness or charity. It's like the woman's goal is literally to become a wife and a mother. And until that happens, they're just going to keep hounding you and hounding you and you're like I'm 31 and I'm happy and they're like no you're not you're not married it's like wait you're happy you don't even understand what happy means until (laughs) you say I do in the celestial room honey okay like you don't know what happy means all right we'll (sighs) tell you what happy means our definition is we're going to place it on you just accept it yes and and it's so interesting like um real quick because you know, all my friends that when they started to get married and have kids, like they all have the temple marriages, they all did things the right way. And I always knew for whatever fucking reason that my quote unquote happy ending, you know, when I got married, it was never going to be that way. I was Mm -hmm. never going to have that traditional temple marriage. And I think like, really, it's because I, I could never fully embrace, like, the white culture that yeah. exists with this, you know, with, uh, like, with the temple marriage and the wedding reception and all that. Like, it just never resonated with me. And I would just beat myself up in, in thinking, like, why? Like, why, why do I feel this strong, like, why do I feel so strongly that this is not going to be me? And really, I think just subconsciously, like, my my spirit was just trying to tell me, like, bitch, like, this is not where you belong. You know, yeah. like, you don't belong here. And, it, and it's not like a, you know, and it's not like a negative, like, yeah, like, you need to leave. No, but it's like, this isn't you. Like, this is not who you are supposed to be. You have other things that you need to accomplish in life before, you know, your husband comes, whoever you know, it is if he even comes, because at this point I'm like, you know what, like if I'm single for the rest of my life, like I really don't care. <laughs> you know, and that's amazing that you can feel that. And, you know, versus when you were in the Mormon church, you probably I mean, I don't want to tell you how you were feeling, but I, I can imagine at least how I've I would be feeling is that if I'm this age and I'm not married, I don't feel fulfilled or I would feel anxious or worried. And now being out of the church and in my early thirties and not married, I feel great. I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is, and yeah. I feel more free, more liberating for sure. Yes. Because now I can like, we can focus on truly being our most authentic selves. And part of that for me as a woman of color is really embracing my heritage and understanding my background, understanding, you know, really like appreciating fully. I mean, not that I ever, not that I never did, but really appreciating where my parents came from, what they had to do to come to this country, what they had to fight, you know, what they had to endure, 
like the racism, the hard labor, you know, the learning a new language, trying to become citizens, like all of that, just so they could provide my brother and I um, better opportunities. Mm-hmm. And as a woman of color, as a first generation born American, it's almost like it's my duty to, I have to do better because I have to teach my future kids if I have kids where we come from Mm -hmm. and have them embrace that and have them not be ashamed of that and have them understand that that just makes them who they are, you know? And I, and I love my culture. I love the food. I love the music. I love, you know, where my parents, um, come from because that shaped so much of who I am today sorry um you're good um and you know leaving such a toxic white supremacist religious organization I can now I can start to embrace all of me and I can really be be my most authentic self and that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy you know the luxuries of living in Utah that just means that I have to be more aware and I have to be more appreciative because not everyone has the same opportunity that my brother and I had not everyone had the same opportunities that we had growing up that we could go to an all white school basically and have better education and speak English without an accent and allow us to be able to basically go wherever we want in life, you know, even if we have to pave the way ourselves, but we still have that opportunity to do that. And so many people don't have that. And I wish people would understand truly how lucky they are to live in this type of environment, you know, in this type of community, you know, and I can brag on it all I want and I can absolutely hate it. But I also have to be appreciative that, hey, you know what, this shaped part of who I am, you know, and being in the church and now leaving it, like, I don't, I'm not angry per se, but I'm just more aware or woke as they, as the kids call it now, (laughs) (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. Oh my God, you gave me tears that was so beautiful um yeah and you raise really really amazing points and I think I'm I'm personally trying to be more aware and I Mm -hmm. think that's a wonderful thing that we can all try to do so um yeah holy shit thank you so much (laughs) Um, (laughs) thank you for giving for allowing me this chance to to talk and to speak. And, you know, I think it's just what you both do is just, it's amazing because I think as an ex member, we have to, we really have to be united. And I don't think we're, I don't think members of a church are as united as we are. And I will say that. Yeah, I agree. You know, because we all have, we all had our breaking points, you know, we all had our faith crisis. We, we know the pain and the guilt and the suffering that every single one of us 
really had to go through when we left the church mm-hmm. because, oh my God, like that, that's not easy. And mm-hmm. the strength that it took for every single one of us that is no longer a member or that is questioning their faith or, you know, that is ready to leave or wherever they are in, in their journey, it, it takes a lot of strength. And I hope that, you know, they understand that they are so brave to recognize that this just doesn't work for them anymore and that they can start living their most authentic lives, whatever that means for them. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, it makes me so happy to hear stories, especially stories like yours, where you're able to embrace yourself finally and love your culture and your heritage and, it, yeah, it really does prove how toxic and white supremacist the Mormon church is. I mean, it's tough enough that the en- entire society is racist and has, you know, white supremacy, but then to add your religion on top of that and to feel like mm-hmm. you can't even embrace your own, own culture is heartbreaking. And so I'm so grateful you you got out and that you shared your story. And I, I know it's going to help others that listen to this and maybe they're even questioning and they they hear this and it really resonates with them so that's really important that you shared your story so thank you thank you seriously katie thank you so much i i'm so grateful that i could be a part of this oh and we got to have you back for some (laughs) cringy like mormon date stories oh god (laughs) you know we love those around here (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, stories (laughs) (laughs) okay well i guess that'll wrap it up but thank you again and thanks to everyone for listening to this amazing little segment To finish up this episode, you guys, I wanted to share a message that we got from a listener who brought up a good point that Sarah and I actually didn't cover, although we have noticed this and we really agree with it. So I want to read you this message. This person writes, I hope you address how toxic some ex-Mormon groups can be. Like some groups will say no politics, even though the political stuff is human rights issues and the church is so conservative and is political, even though the claim they claim not to be. Also being non-political is being neutral, which is not caring. I always say you can leave the church, but you have to actively study and investigate to learn about racism and misogyny. Just because you leave the church doesn't mean you're progressive. The sexism and racism still persists, but it's it's built into the doctrine and people need to work to undo that. So, yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's obviously such a good point. Um, when I've noticed lots of people, I mean, I'm just going to say it, especially Mormons, but it definitely exists in a lot of communities and even our ex-Mormon community where people feel like it's quote unquote too political to say something and Sarah and I both very much believe that if you're silent you are such a part of the problem and you need to speak up and I know that a lot of times it's really difficult and it's uncomfortable and that's it's uncomfortable for a reason especially for I mean 
us white people haven't been expected to do any, or we've just brushed it off for so long, right? So I think we definitely need to speak up, and that is a big reason why we decided to do these episodes, is to speak up in a way we know how, and I've been having very difficult conversations with my family members, calling people out on social media, posting about things on my social media about this issue. Um, I found a good, a, a, a another post. Um, this was originally posted by the Instagram account Gabby the Ghost, and it reads, A lot is going on in the world right now, and the absolute least you can do is repost the millions of Instagram posts helping people spread the message on how to help, donate, protest, and converse. Publicity is so important when trying to educate our communities and eradicate these toxic toxic systems that have been built to destroy us. Yes, you're not obligated to share these ideals on your social media accounts. However, reflect on the reasons why you don't want to. Fear of, quote, getting political on your social media is, at its core, racist. This isn't a political issue, it's a humanitarian one. Black people are being murdered for the color of their skin. We're not talking about polls or voting, we're talking about saving human lives. If you're anxious about what your peers will think, or if people will try to fight you, take a look at the people you surround yourself with. If they would fight or make fun of you, they are the problem. They are the oppressor, we are, and we are trying to educate and get rid of. Sorry, I said that wrong. They are the oppressor we are trying to educate and get rid of. If you're nervous about not being educated enough or being part of a conversation you're not ready for, that is fine. However, you must educate yourself and have these uncomfortable conversations in order to erase the racism that has been built and sewn into you from many generations before us. You are uncomfortable because you have been taught to be uncomfortable. Your nature is to avoid these conversations because the oppressor has taught us to run away from them so they can keep their power over you. A refusal to post is, at its core, a refusal to give up your comfort. A refusal to give up your power as a privileged individual. To sit in silence is to let people die. Think about the real reasons you don't want to publish your support. There should be no valid excuse. Black people are being killed. The least you could do is say their names out loud. It is not enough to be non-racist. You must be unapologetically anti-racist. So. I wanted to share that. I'm very grateful to the listener for pointing that out. And um, along with this episode and the one before it, on our Instagram account, we are going to be posting resources of things you can do to help, places you can donate, and things that will help educate us and get this, um, yeah, share this cause and help in any way that we can. Um, again, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this amazing community. We love you. Have a great week.